0: Well, even though we're going to be singing the Christmas songs during the worship time, we are actually, for the next three weeks, sticking with our Old Testament series. Then on the 23rd, I'm going to give a special Christmas message. So we're going to cover the life of Joseph. And we've only got three weeks to do it. I want like ten. Okay, but uh, we're going to take three weeks and cover the life of Joseph. So you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Right now, Genesis chapter 37. One of the most prominent features of Joseph's story... Uh, is that God revealed his future to him. God didn't do that for everybody in the Bible, but God revealed his future to him in advance, and then, by faith, Joseph had to trust God with his future. Now, there's a lot of different ways we can try and catch a glimpse at our future. Uh, One of them I encountered last night as our small group had a fellowship night at a Chinese restaurant, and then after the meal was all done, they passed fortune cookies around at the table. So I grabbed my fortune cookie and I ate it, and I opened it up, and I was surprised to read this. Uh, you are soon going to change your present line of work. <laughs> and we were at a small group function, and so I shared it with them. <laughs> and uh, I didn't really like my fortune, so um, I noticed on the tray there was one final cookie, and I reached out and took the last cookie. I wanted a second fortune. you know. So, uh, so I read the second one, and it said this. You will be unusually successful in business. Business. Change your line of work. Be successful in business. So uh, needless to say, this is my last Sunday preaching, and I'm going to (laughs) go... Now, how foolish would that be to trust your future because of a fortune cookie, right? And So many ways people try and catch a sneak peek at their future, either through a crystal ball or through a psychic or, you know, through whatever. But um, Joseph actually did... Learn his future in advance. And it's because God revealed it to him. You might think that was a blessing, but it was actually a burden. Because God, while he revealed Joseph's future to him, all of the things that took place before that future came about were like one heart attack after another. And so sometimes it would be better if we didn't know what was supposed to happen so that we would not have to go through the grief of wondering how it's going to happen. But we're going to learn some lessons about faith from Joseph. The bottom line with Joseph's story, the lesson we get is this. In a sentence, I would say this the next three weeks. Trust God with your future. Trust God with your future. Regardless of your past, in spite of your present, trust God with your future. Let's pray and then we'll see. Uh, The life of Joseph. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us just one amazing faith story after another. Thank you for these role models, these examples of faith who are meant to encourage us. And over the next three weeks, as Joseph runs up alongside of us and ministers to us for three weeks, I pray that our faith would grow. Particularly, pray that you would give us the faith to trust you with our future. Not to be controlling it on our own, not to be fearing what will come, not to be bogged down in the past, but but to be trusting you with what will come. You're a faithful God, and show us that through the life of Joseph, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so Genesis chapter 37, are you there? Hold up your Bible. Prove it. Are you there? Prove it. Show it. Good, good. And... uh, We've covered a lot of famous folks in the Old Testament, but just to catch you up, remember we studied about Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And Jacob was a trickster and a swindler. And Jacob is the one who lied to his dad and said, Oh, I'm Esau and dressed up like a little goat. Remember that story? And then he wrestled with God. That's what we covered a few weeks ago. Well, now Jacob's got kids. And hey, kids, that's one way God gets back at you for how you treated your parents. Okay? So just look, if your kids are with you, just look at them and then tell yourself, That's payback for what I did to my parents. Right there. So now Jacob uh, has lots of kids, and they're uh, <laughs> making his life miserable. Let's meet Joseph's family. Uh, the family profile is this. Joseph, uh, Joseph had 10 older brothers. 10. Okay. Now Cinderella had problems with two wicked stepsisters. Joseph had 10 wicked stepbrothers, and they were all older than him. Okay, so maybe you feel like you're the youngest child, and because of that, you know, your elder siblings picked on you. Okay, well, Joseph had 10 older brothers. I mean, like, not just a noogie a day, a noogie an hour, okay? And uh, what's it like to be the 10th? And he had one younger brother, and that was his only brother who was, like, actually, a, you know, blood-related, blood, blood related, his full brother. The rest were stepbrothers. Okay, now, uh, Jacob, he didn't just have one wife, he had two wives. He took two, and then he, in addition because that wasn't enough, took two extra concubines. So he had, there were four moms in Joseph's house running around having babies. And so Joseph had this family of, of ten older brothers, one younger brother, and then a sister. What was it like to be her? A sister with four mamas running around the house. This is his crazy family. We meet them in Genesis 37, verse 1. It says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old... Do we have any 17-year-olds in the room? Who's 17? Who's 17? Anybody 17? You are? Okay, cool. Hi. You can relate to this story in a special way. 17 years old was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, those are the concubines, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. All right, what's the word for that when one child brings a bad report about another child? What's that called? Tattletale. Now, Israel, lo- israel that's another name for Jacob. Remember, God renamed Jacob Israel, so this is the dad. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, could not speak peacefully to him. Now, there's multiple problems here, but before we get into that, this, this is God keeping his promise to Abraham, Do you remember when God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants as many as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. and, And then from your descendants, there would come one special descendant, the Messiah, right? Well, this was the prophecy about the nation of Israel and how it would come about. Well, Jacob's kids are the founding fathers of the 12 tribes. The tribes would be named after Jacob's kids. So put the family tree up here. And you got Jacob, then you've got his two wives on the left, Rachel and Leah, then you got Zilpah and Bilhah on the right, the concubines. All the kids are the tribes of Israel. This is where Israel came from. Okay? So all of Jacob's descendants would become, um, would become Israelites. You can see Joseph over there. Joseph didn't get a tribe named after him because he was, he was special. He almost got like a double inheritance, and Manasseh and Ephraim, which would be his sons, would each become a half-tribe in Israel. All right So those are the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is where Israel's coming from. Um, but this family through which the nation would come had big problems. Okay, everybody say, big problems. big problems. Every family has problems. This family had big problems. like Dr. Phil wouldn't know where to begin with this family. All right? What are some of the problems we're observing? Well, you can jot this down. Jo- uh, Jacob was divisive and played favorites. Jacob, the dad, was divisive and played favorites. <laughs> okay, I have selected a favorite child. How do I communicate to the rest of the family who my favorite is? I know. I'll dress him up like a rainbow. I'll give him this coat with all these different colors so when he comes in the room, everyone will know oh, that must be dad's favorite. And how did that make the rest of the children feel? Not good. And we noticed that, you know, Jacob, even though he had a, you know, life-altering encounter with God, uh, he still had some character flaws. He was your classic con artist. He was manipulative. He manipulated in the family. He manipulated outside of the family. He pitched his kids against each other. He sent one Joseph to spy on him. So he brought that sneaky trickster, you know, nature into the family that was causing problems. Now, maybe you would like to select a favorite child, and maybe you would like to communicate to your family who your favorite is. I came up with a suggestion. If you would like to do that, here's one way you can do it. Just shave their rank into the top of their head. Those are quadruplets, and the family was having a hard time, or actually the teachers were having a hard time figuring out which kid is which, so they they put the number. (laughs) Wouldn't that be awful? (laughs) Jacob was divisive and played favorites and blatantly allowing Joseph to prance into the room in his rainbow robe was causing family problems. Okay, next. Joseph was a boastful tattletale. Jot that down. Joseph was a boastful tattletale. Uh, How do we know that? Well, you see, he would go to his father and tell on his brothers. And and that created more friction with the brothers than what was already there. In addition, he was spoiled. He got what he wanted. He was the favorite, and he wore the robe, and and everybody knew it, and he was spoiled, and he was boastful, and he was a tattletale, and that was a problem. So Joseph was a boastful tattletale. And then jot this down, the brothers were sinful hypocrites. Jacob was divisive, Joseph was a tattletale, the brothers were sinful hypocrites, they had sin problems, but they kept it out of sight of their dad. So Joseph saw it, and dad didn't see it, and Joseph had to go and tell dad what he saw when dad wasn't around. Now, this is called hypocrisy. This is called being duplicitous. And um, it's a shame that the brothers were evil, evil, even doing evil for Joseph to report back. But the thing is, they were doing it when dad wasn't around. It's called being hypocrites, being duplicitous. And this is a thing that they would all sinfully maintain throughout their life. They had the capacity to keep something covered up and hidden from dad for decades. Now, Sadly, Jacob worked that into his family. They were all crooked. The brothers were sinful hypocrites. Joseph was a boastful tattletale. Jacob was divisive and played favorites. This family, if they were alive today, would definitely get a reality show. I mean, TLC would pick them up like yesterday. You just watch what's happening next. Here comes Mr. Rainbow robe into the room, and his kids are going, "Yikes!" All right, but what does all this have to do with the Lord? We'll jot this one down. All of this placed the covenant in jeopardy. All of this placed the covenant in jeopardy. The infighting, the friction, the favoritism, all of their descendants would lead to the nation through which would come the promise of salvation. So if these kids can't get along, if they start turning on each other, and if they were divide, if they would start getting violent with each other, if they couldn't keep the family together, it jeopardized the future of the whole nation. Right? And you have to understand, the way God got hope, salvation into the world, is through Israel. The way God got Israel into the world is through this messed up family. Your hope of salvation is tied to this messed up family. If the family breaks apart, or if they can't get along, or if they don't survive, no Messiah, no Christmas, no Easter, no heaven, and God's promises were not kept. All of this placed the covenant in jeopardy. So now, here's the lesson of faith we're going to draw from this story trust God with your future. And let's read on and see what God did through this family. Verse 5. It said, Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream... Dreams and for his words. Joseph had this dream, and it's like we're out in the field, and all this sheaves, so there's like a food part of this dream, and God's showing Joseph his future. And something in his future is going to involve food, and something in his future is going to involve his other brothers bowing down before him. Well, he couldn't wait to run to his brothers with this dream. Okay, note to self if you have 10 older brothers, Then you have a dream where they all bow down to you. Don't tell them about it. Do you want to get pounded? But I I think he couldn't wait to tell them. Hey, guess what? Guess what? I'm the king of the hill, losers. I had a dream and you all bowed down right in front of me. Uh, Now, either the brothers knew this was God communicating that Joseph would be the highest ranking in the family, right? Which God had done before. Esau was older, Jacob was younger, and God chose Jacob. So they may have been aware of that, and they may have been like, oh, great, first he's dad's favorite, and now he's God's favorite. Huh! Or maybe they just thought that he was making this stuff up. I think they knew precisely what it meant. I think they knew exactly what it meant. It's that God would bring forth furthering his promises primarily through Joseph in this family. So they set themselves against God's promise To bring the blessing of salvation into the world. Well, trust God with your future. You can jot this down. Regardless of your upbringing. Regardless of your upbringing. God gave Joseph a glimpse into his future. He didn't know what it all meant, but he knew he would have tremendous authority over his brothers and he knew it had something to do with food. God gave him a snapshot of what it would be and it was his family that was opposing what God had planned for his future. Now, it'd be kind of cool if God revealed to you a, a thing or two about your future. Could you make a list, a short list or a long list about things you'd like to know about the future? Could you come up with a few things you'd really like? If you had a dream tonight and God was like, Poof, and he showed you something about your future, could you come up with that list of things you'd like to see? Uh, because I got a list, I got a list of small things and big things I'd like to see about my future. Like a little thing is, I'd really like to know if I'm going to beat Pastor Brandon at Fantasy Football this week so I can start rubbing it in his face already. It's all week long, he, pray for him, he needs to be humble. But all week long, he's talking to me about how he's going to take me down, and, then, and I just don't know how it's going to turn out until the Monday ends. And how cool would it be if I just knew the future? Uh, but then more serious things, right? I mean, things like how are my kids going to turn out, and what can I do now to develop them for that future? And you know, where's our church going to end up with our facility search? And... Uh, you know, I mean, things like, well, what, what, what does my future hold? Am I going to be healthy? I mean, how long, how long am I going to live? And how cool would it be to know some of these things? Well, God decided to reveal to Joseph his future before it happened. Um, this is amazing. It displays God's omniscience. Displays that he knows everything about your past, about your present in your heart, and about your future. He could tell you the name of a relative that you'll have 500 years from now if Christ hasn't come back yet. He could give you the name. He could give you the birth weight. He could give you how many hairs are on top of their head. He knows everything about your future. And he wants that not to create a sense of passivity and you're like, oh, well, he knows it all. It's all scripted. All I need to do is just sit down on the couch and wait for it to happen. He wants his omniscience to make you far more active in your faith and trust in him. When you realize he's holding your future, you then are more bold and more courageous than you were. Check out this verse, you know it, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven to 13. Let's all say this together. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Based on the fact that God holds your future and promises, you know, that he will work all things together for the good, he's like, yeah, based on that, come and seek me and find me and be faithful. Trust me with your future. And for Joseph, hey, trust me with your future regardless of your upbringing. Now in verse 9, God does something else. Verse 9, and he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. Wow. This is uh, symbolic of just how much authority Joseph would one day have. I mean, this is a pretty sweet future. The sun and the moon and eleven stars are bowing at my feet. I think that shows the nature of the authority that God would give Joseph eventually in Egypt and I think it shows that the 11 stars kind of represent his brothers and then the sun and the moon could be his you know his uh, dad and and uh, his stepmom and wow the whole family's going to bow down to you in fact the it's like the whole universe is looking to you such power such prominence and of course he ran right to the brothers to tell them about it Now, we have to understand that God can reveal himself in many ways. One of them is through a dream or perhaps a vision. God did that in the New Testament, too. God could still do that today. But understand that they're very rare. Understand they're very subjective. Okay, Don't listen to the guy who all of his dreams are like something that you need to hear. I had another dream. I had another vision. They're very rare. Understand that they bear no independent authority. The dream in and of itself cannot mean anything. It must be evaluated by the church and God's word. And the interpretation of the dream has to be disclosed with clarity by God, and it has to be endorsed by God Himself. All of that makes a dream or a vision a valid way God would reveal Himself. And He did it to Joseph. But God revealed this, and instantly His family turned against Him. Instantly His family was the thing that was threatening the future God had for Him. And I think this is a good moment for us to pause and to ask ourselves, hey, are we giving way too much power to our upbringing? Are we giving way too much uh, way too much influence to our past? Is it the thing that's holding us back from the future that God has for us? Because the story of Joseph shows that our upbringing can not do anything to the future that God has planned for us. I think it's sad that so often today in counseling sessions and as people meet and try and find hope for their future, they are told, Well, the only hope for your future is to go back into your past to figure out how your parents messed you up and then to go and tell them about that, figure out who's to blame for what, sort through it all. And frankly, that is not at all the way to get God's blessing on your future. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell us to go back to our past and to start pointing fingers. The Bible tells us to forget what is behind and to press on toward what is ahead. That's what we're supposed to do. And if you've been told that, wow, your present is so miserable and your future looks so bleak, what you need to do is you need to just... Face that your parents screwed you up. Tell them how they did it. Go and tr- you know what you're doing? You're handcuffing your past to your future, and you're pouring all this bitterness and all this unforgiveness and all this resentment and all of this anger on your upbringing, and God is not going to bless that. But really, they say that there are three phases that we have with our parents: that we have to obey our parents, and then we have to leave our parents, and then we have to forgive our parents. Maybe you haven't gotten to that point yet. But don't think for a moment that God and his plans for your future were ruined by your upbringing. Trust me, if you sat across the table from Joseph and said, well, you don't understand, here's the family I grew up in, he'd be like, yeah, come and talk to me when your family sells you to like a drug cartel in Mexico and abandons you, all right? And then you like try and reconcile with them after about 20 years or so. Come talk to me then. You don't have it as bad as me. But hey, regardless of your upbringing, trust God With your future. Here's the second point. Trust God with your future even in great danger. Even in great danger. Let's read on in verse 12. Uh, Reading on in verse 12, it says, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I'll send you to them. He said to him, Here I am. And so he said to him, Go now, See if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me, bring me word. So he's like on reconnaissance now. Again, a little spy mission. Go and tell me what your brothers are up to. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. The man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. Now this is an important point to pause. I never know as I'm getting ready to preach a, a message like where the Lord is going to most grip my heart, but it was right there as I was studying this this week, and it was unexpected. Um, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. You see, Joseph doesn't know it, but the anger that the brothers feel has gotten so powerful that The first chance they got, they're going to kill him. It's going to be a violent, bloody death. And they're going to cover it up and they're going to lie to the father. And this is the part in this story where Joseph can't find him and he runs into this random guy. And where are they? And brothers are not where they're supposed to be, of course. And this is the point in the story where God does nothing. This is the point in the story when God could have taken action. To prevent what's about to come into Joseph's life, and God chooses not to. These are the moments that you'll face in life, too. These are the moments when, before something evil or hurtful or painful or outrageous comes into your life, there's going to be the moment before it when God chooses to do nothing, but He allows it. And I think we have to recognize God gave Joseph a vision for the future he had planned. And then God allowed that entire promise to be endangered. This is how faith is grown. And Joseph has to learn to trust God even with his future, even in great danger. He's 65 miles from home. He's got no hope against 10 older brothers. And God allows Joseph's life to be drastically altered. Reading on. Verse 17, the man said, They've gone away, for I I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar. Before he came near to them, they conspired against him to to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And don't miss this. And we will see what will become of his dreams. See, they didn't just want to kill him. They wanted to prevent what God had revealed. This wasn't just an attack on Joseph. This was an attack on God Almighty and what he was planning to do. This was a threat to the hope of salvation coming into your life. Let's see then what will become of his dreams. The brothers didn't understand They didn't understand what's with all of our sheaves bowing down to Joseph. Joseph didn't understand at the time that there would be a seven-year-long famine that was coming into the world. It would decimate all of Egypt. It would decimate all the surrounding regions. The whole world would be threatened by this. God had to find a way. God was determined to find a way to save them out of this. And in threatening the dream, they were even putting their own lives at stake. But they couldn't know that at that time. They were just jealous, godless men, willing to murder, willing to cover it up, willing to break their father's heart, willing willing to be haunted all their life by their sin because of their anger and their envy and their godlessness. They were willing to do it. Hey, listen, they were willing to kill (laughs) all the world's hope of salvation because of their anger at their brother. Well, what would happen? Reading on, verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, he's the firstborn, supposed to be the leader, he rescued him out of their hand, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. In other words, just let him die on his own. Don't kill him. But Reuben wanted to rescue him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Okay, do you think that would be the end of it? you think if Reuben got him out of it this time, that Next time they had a chance, they would let him be. He was in danger. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat. It's so heartless. It passed the ketchup. They're eating. And looking up, okay, now this is the part when God does something. See, first there was the part when God, why didn't he do anything? Why didn't you do anything to stop it? God should have done something, but he didn't do anything. And now this is the part when God does something, and Joseph isn't going to like what God's about to do. See, don't we have both of those in our lives? Why didn't you do anything? And then we also have the, why did you do that? I wish you had done nothing. This is going to be that version. It says, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing Gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Okay, notice Judah is still planning to murder him. Okay, that, that has not been put behind him. That's the plan. But he comes up with a different plan. He wants to turn a little profit on this. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own blood. Hey, he is our brother. Okay, we're not going to kill him. We're just going to sell them into slavery. All in favor? Aye. Good. Pass the mustard. They're eating lunch. Plotting how to kill their brother. What if you were Joseph and this was your family? Think about this. How would you feel if God had revealed your future to you in advance? And then you're at the bottom of a well in pitch, darkness, Brothers are thinking of murdering you. How do you feel about God at that moment? How do you feel about the future God has promised to you at that moment? That's a crisis of faith. God, you you promised this, and your word says this, and my hope was this, and now I'm in pitch dark. I'm in danger. I don't know if I'm going to survive the day. Where, did you deceive me, Lord, in showing me this future? Do my brothers have power enough to stop what you have planned? All this is going through his mind. Hey, trust God with your future, even in great danger. Even in great danger. It says then in verse 28, the Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt. Leaving you asking this question that Joseph was asking, as he's on his way handcuffed like, like an animal down to Egypt and being. It leaves us asking this question Why did God allow this into my life? You can jot that down in your notes. Say, Why did God allow this into my life? What did God allow into Joseph's life? Jot this down unimaginable pain. There was the relational pain of brothers rejecting him. There was the physical pain of being thrown in a dry well. And there was the emotional pain of it all. And God allowed all the pain for a reason. You see, pain is one of God's very special instruments to shape your character. And he will allow pain into your life, emotional, physical. He will allow it into your life for a reason. And then you have a crisis of faith. Are you going to trust God with the future of your pain? I don't know why you did nothing, Lord. But you've allowed this pain into my life. It's unimaginable. Are you going to trust Him with the future of your pain? It's a crisis of faith. Here's the next one. Why did God allow this? Unexplainable injustice. Unexplainable injustice. What that person did, what that person said, it was unfair, it was hurtful, it was wrong, it was deceptive. They got off. Why did God allow that? Hey, listen, are you going to trust God with the future of your enemies? Or are you going to try and take matters into your own hands? You're going to become your own prosecuting attorney. Do you trust God with the future of those who have hurt you through injustice? If you do, he'll teach you about his authority and his sense of justice and his wrath. If you don't, you'll bring hurt and trouble unto yourself. Unimaginable pain, unexplainable injustice... And here's the third sub point here, unpredictable consequences. I don't know what is going to happen in my future. And hey, listen, if you look, what's going to go on with my finances, what's going to go on with my career, with my kids, with my marriage, if you are obsessively trying to force it to come together, all of it, I'm obsessively trying to control my own future, you're not trusting God. You can't control your own future. And Joseph at the bottom of this well in total darkness with nothing but a glimpse of his future, all he could do was trust God. And if you're not there yet, you need to throw yourself in the well, okay? And say, I can't do it anymore. You've got to come and you've got to take control over my future. Unimaginable pain, unexplainable injustice, unpredictable consequences you trust God with the future of your pain, of your enemies, with the future of your fears? I've realized over the course of my life that I'm just not smart enough to even fear the right things about my future. I get all worked up and afraid. Oh no, this is going to happen. Oh no, and then this other thing happens and I'm like, I'm like too dumb to even be afraid of the right things. Like if God had told me, oh, you're afraid of this stuff, you should really be afraid of these things that are coming into your life. Fear is just not worth it. Unimaginable pain, unexplainable injustice, unpredictable consequences. Hey, trust God with your future, regardless of your upbringing, even in great danger. Here's the third one because God will never abandon you. Because God will never abandon you. How's this going to turn out? Verse 29. <clears throat> when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. Oh no, my plan didn't work! Maybe I should have been more courageous and spoken up for my brother and returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in the blood, sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Hey, did you, did you catch or are you carefully observing what's going on here? Jacob, the trickster and the deceiver, worked this into his family. What did he do to his daddy? Dressed up all like a little goat and tricked his dad into giving him the inheritance, right? What are his sons doing? Deceiving him using a goat about the, the outcome of his son's life. I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree here. Verse 33, and he identified it and said, It's my son's robe! A fierce animal has devoured him! Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol, that's the grave, to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. God will never abandon you. Why did I make that the third point? Do you know that this was God's way of saving Joseph? Do you know that the brothers were going to kill him? And they wouldn't have stopped trying. God had to get Joseph away from them. And do you know that there he was in the pit. His life was at stake. He was going to die that day. God made a way to save Joseph. And it was an unlikely way. Joseph didn't know it as he was handcuffed, taken down to Egypt, that this was God's way of delivering him, right? Strange way to save a guy. But God knew. This was God saving him, not God condemning him. Joseph also didn't know that this needed to happen in order to fulfill the promise God had for him, to get him to Egypt, to soon warn the Pharaoh of the coming famine, and in essence to save not only Egypt, but his family, and with it, the promises of salvation that we need. Joseph had no idea this was all going on, but God was not abandoning him. God was saving him, and God was getting ready to keep his promises to him. Joseph would eventually realize this. Check out Genesis 45.7. We'll put it on the screen. It says this, and who sent Joseph? What does it say there? I want you to say the second and third word. Ready? And Joseph says this in the future. When I got lifted out of that well, what happened to me was God sending me. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. God did this. God did this. And listen, you have to understand. I mean, when you get ripped up out of a well of darkness and get sold and get taken to a land that's not your home. And and listen, in your life, maybe you feel that way. Maybe you feel like I have I have no control over my future right now. None. You've got two choices. You can either become a martyr and a victim and feel so depressed and down about yourself, which is a faithless attitude to take, or you can understand (laughs) by faith that even when you feel like your life is out of control, that God has it completely under control. You need to say that to yourself. God has this completely under control. Not kind of. He doesn't have a pinky on it. Completely under control. Under control. And when there are chapters God writes in your life and in mine that we would rather rip out of the story, rather rip that whole chapter of my life out of the story completely. Why did that get in there? And when you feel that way about something God's allowed into your life, you have to understand this, that He's authoring a masterpiece that will give Him glory. Okay, and you're what third of the way through? halfway through, two-thirds of the way through. we got the rest of Joseph's story on the books here. He didn't have it. We don't have the next chapter of your life. We don't have the next ten chapters of your life. Frankly, even if you had it all here on the earthly side of things, wait till God. you get to heaven and God tells you all the things that he did that you weren't even aware of. But God is writing a masterpiece. And we have to trust him with our future. We can't get bogged down in the past. We can't lose all hope in the present. We've got to trust Him with our future even when we're in great danger, no matter the upbringing we've had, because God will never abandon us. The story this week actually ends in Genesis 39, verse 2. And this is where next week's sermon begins, but flip ahead to Genesis 39, verse 2. After being sold, after being taken away, after becoming an owned servant in a foreign land... After fearing that all hope was lost of the future, God revealed to him. Listen to what we find in Genesis 39, verse 2. It says this, The Lord was with Joseph. God went with him. God didn't abandon him. Whatever's gone on in your life, whatever your past holds, whatever your present is marked by, God hasn't abandoned you. And he's got a future planned out for you. And no one else in your life has the authority to overrule that. The brothers, unknowingly, even though they were the greatest threat to the future that God revealed to Joseph, they unknowingly fulfilled the future God had planned. Nobody can stand in the way of what God's got planned for your future. But God calls you to a posture of faith. Trust me. In Jeremiah 29.11, he said, Hey, I've got plans to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you, and you'll seek me, and you'll find me. And all of these things should be the result of our faith in the Lord. God was with him. He saved Joseph from his brothers who meant all of this for evil. God overruled it and meant it for good. He sent Joseph to Egypt to spare him from murder, to secure the promise of the covenant, Frankly, to deliver the whole world from a coming famine and ultimately eventually to bring your salvation into the world just as He promised. Hey, God is faithful. God is faithful. And are you going to trust Him with your future? Are you going to lay it in His hands? Maybe He didn't show it to you like He did to Joseph, but He knows it. Are you going to trust Him with it? That's the challenge of faith this week. The challenge to believe by faith that God is with me, that His plan is unfolding right on His timetable, and that I must trust Him by faith. I'd like to close our eyes and bow our heads now, and I'd like to give you a chance to respond by faith to what you've heard. I'd like for this to be a moment between you and God above, where wherever you're at with your present, wherever your past has led you, where you by faith look up to the Lord and you trust Him with the days that are ahead. And I pray right now, Lord, for everyone in the room. And I pray for, for all of the fears represented here. I pray for all of the pain in the past represented here. Lord, I pray for all of the hope that people have had for their future that now seems questionable Lord and your servants come to you we're holding something that's very important and precious to us something that we don't feel like giving up easily it's our future Lord I think of the teenagers in this room who are wondering what their entire life will hold who they'll marry and what job they will take and where they'll go to school and Lord, they need to trust you with their future. They need to give you the pen and tell you to write the whole story and not just let you write footnotes to what they're going for. Father, I think of our our young adults who are seeing a little more clearly where their job will fall, where they will live and put their roots down. Maybe they're trying to make peace with their past. Maybe they still don't know how to feel about some of the things that have happened to them. Maybe they're not sure why you allowed certain things into their lives. Just pray that you would help them to make that transition by forgiving all the pain in the past, not letting that get in the way of what you have planned for them. Lord, my prayer is for those who are trying to raise up healthy and godly and selfless children. So much fear and anxiety can creep into our hearts as we try and trust you with the futures of others. My prayer is that we would commit them to you just as we dedicated them to you. My prayer is for those who later in life are now looking back and wondering why they haven't gotten where they thought they would get. Who are disillusioned at what the retirement years may hold. Wondering how they got off track. My prayer is that they would entrust to you the days that they have in the future, that they would ask to make a greater impact for the kingdom in the coming days than they have in all of their lives to this point. My prayer is that they would ask through prayer for you to do outstanding things that they might make an impression on the next generation. Lord, for all of us, my prayer is that our hopes for the future would look past this present life and understand that the cares of this world not even worth comparing for the surpassing weight of glory that we are heading for. The trumpet will sound, the Lord will return, and we will be with you forever. That you have revealed to all of us. We are eternally grateful. Father, take our future, fulfill your promises, and prove faithful. In your name we pray.